Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal... The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Our Father, we thank You for Your holy Word, knowing that we can trust our lives to Its provisions. It is good, it's faithful, it's trustworthy and true. We thank You, dear Father God, for the Holy Ghost to unveil to us the deep, rich treasures of Your Word, that we may be doers thereof and not hearers only. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of your word and demonstration of the spirit of power, that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about finishing our course. I'd like to continue with a brief review of last week's lesson and then continue from that point on. And first of all, we said that the Father has planned out a certain course of steps for all of our lives that each and every one of us should find and fulfill. To find and fulfill that purpose of His will would mean blessings untold, not to would mean failure. We said that by the example of the Apostle Paul, in order to be sure of our finishing our course strong, we must have definite spiritual aim. We also must properly train, just as a a runner would properly train to run in a running race. And then we said we must also maintain a proper attitude of heart and mind that's a spiritual and mental attitude concerning the past, the present, and the future. We said we would share certain things that would help us to finish our course strong. And number one was that we should evaluate or examine our own commitment to God. We do not set the criteria for true discipleship. God does. We must meet that criteria. We must live up to His standards, not alter or change His standards to meet our conditions. Whether it be for self-gain or whether it be for, uh, to accommodate religious tradition, we just shouldn't do it. To be quite frank about it, we're not going to do it because He's not going to change. Amen? He said you must be born again. That means we must be saved. Born again. Spirit-filled. And pursuing what His will is for our lives. That is by revelation of the Word, number one. And secondly, as He so leads and guides us by His Spirit into what His will is for our lives. I can't run your race. I must run my own. 
That's why I say sometimes from this pulpit, don't go to Ramah just because I went to Ramah. I went to Ramah because I was called. And the Lord spoke to me and said, go. Don't sell your house and, and, and leave your family because I did. That's something I had to do. I couldn't do what Paul did. Paul had to do what God had for him to do. Do you see that? And many people have made shipwreck of their lives, of their faith, because they've done silly things. I had one fellow come up to me and said, I sold all my possessions and gave it all away. Lost everything I have, including my family. And then, of course, he proceeded to say, it's all because of you. Because of me, because I said that I did. And so this person followed my example. But he wasn't directed of the Lord. He wasn't divinely instructed. See, God has a will for all of our lives. That was a step in the course of my life. Not his. He should not have taken that step without fully seeking the Lord's will for his life. Amen? Amen. We went on to say that we must also develop our character. So then we should evaluate or examine our godly character, our character development. God places a priority in that area of our lives. For we are to exemplify the life of Christ. Our scripture reference was Philippians 2, 12 through 16 in the Amplified Bible, where it talks about that we are all to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That means with godly reverential fear and trembling before a holy, almighty God, we are all as individuals to take that which He has deposited within our spirit and work it out so that it can be seen of men so that we can be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Do you see that? I think we live in a day, in an age, where people think that salvation is only one fold. I was saved. But we saw that the Bible teaches threefold salvation. I was saved. I'm in the process of being saved. And I'm going to be saved. That is, I've been born again. And you can see the evidence of it in my life today in this present world. You know why? Because I know that one day Jesus is coming and this body is going to be changed. And I want it to be most glorious. Do you see that? Not that I was saved and it doesn't matter how I live. God doesn't want us thinking like that. So we see here that we are responsible to work out our own salvation, to cultivate and bring it out to its fullest goal. That is, the life of Christ that's been deposited into our spirit is made alive within our mortal flesh. People can actually see in you the very life of Christ, the love of God, the character of God. And we also pointed out that Jesus said that you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him or be an imitator of God the Father and God the Son as dear children. It means to be a fellow imitator. That's what it means to follow. To walk in His love and to walk in forgiveness and develop godly character. And we express that Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 4, records that the three Hebrew children were 
developed in godly character. They excelled in purity, holiness, and their lifestyle. And also, I'll correct my mistake from last week. It was Joseph who ran from Potiphar's wife because he, he wanted to flee fornication. Just because these are Bible characters doesn't mean they don't have physical lusts. We point out that some men gave in. David did. Didn't he? Samson did, didn't he? Do you see that? But Joseph didn't. We don't have to look at people's lives and say, because they did, I have to give in too. Joseph didn't. Jesus didn't. Paul didn't. And there are examples also, aren't they? So let's follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And don't look at the faults and the mistakes of others and justify our own actions. Can you say amen to that? Hallelujah. Well, we went on to say here in this scripture, not just Bible characters, but everyone who names the name of Christ is to depart from iniquity. And I think that's something that's been lost in this generation in which we live. We are to depart from iniquity. Why? Because God wants us to be the vessels of honor, of gold and silver, not of wood, earth, and stubble. He wants us to reflect His life, His character, His godliness, His holiness. Because we're His offspring. We are His children. He doesn't want us to continue in that lifestyle of sin that we've been delivered from. Now, to continue our lesson, let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Notice here talks also about running the race that we're in, finishing our course. It gives us some insight, gives us some understanding, it gives us some instruction as to what we should be doing. Verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Underline the word weight. And the sin, underline the word sin, which doth so easily beset us, and let us run, underline the word run, with patience the race that is set before us. Looking, underline that word, unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's back up to, to the word wait. This is talking about Things that slow us down in our race. And the word weight there in the Greek means bulk, mass, heap, weight. Bulk, mass, heap, weight. The excess that we carry around. Now, I had one fellow look at me and say, you know, you lose about 10 more pounds, you'll be a pretty good jogger. I said, I lose about 10 more pounds, I'll be skin and bones. Well, it's a whole lot easier to carry 10 pounds less of weight, isn't it? And that's what he was saying. You could run a little bit faster. I said, yeah, but I don't want to be skin and bones. I'm not concerned about how 
long it takes me. I'm just concerned about finishing my course. As long as I make it to the end, that's okay. But what this is saying, we can have excess baggage along the way. Of course, none of you have excess baggage. Just those that are in the ministry, right? Write it down. Arrogance is number one. Conceit, number two. Anger, three. Bad habits, four. Bad attitudes, five. Self-ordained aspirations and goals is a big weight. And you can add the list onto that list as, as many as you want to. But whatever is hindering our Christian experience and growth and development can be added to that list. Whatever it is. And see, the reason why we have to work out our own salvation is because you know the weight that's in your life. You know the excess baggage that you're carrying. You know, if you're given to anger and that's a problem in your life, that is something that has to be dealt with before you're going to really grow and develop spiritually. Do you know that? If you have an arrogant attitude about you, that's going to hinder your spiritual growth and development because God does what? He resists the proud, gives grace to who? To the humble. And you see, without His grace, we can't develop. Try as you may, without His grace, we can't develop. We cannot grow in our own strength. We only can grow and develop as He adds grace, which is the power of His operation that changes us from glory to glory. But you see, it's as we cooperate with Him and let go of some of these weights, dealing with arrogance, dealing with pride, dealing with self-aspirations and goals, searching our hearts, dealing with bad habits. I know people like someone to preach from a pulpit, hellfire and brimstone and tell every person they're going to hell because of all their physical bad habits. You know what? I've said this before. I don't have to tell you what your bad habits are. You know them better than anybody else. I'll be quite frank about it. The devil tells you every day. Doesn't he? He certainly does. I think what we should be saying from the pulpit is, let's deal with them in the power of God. Let's share truth that will help others to overcome. Because we're here because we want to be a blessing, not only to one another, but also we want to be pleasing to our Father God. And we want our lives to exemplify His life, don't we? Absolutely. So you see, beloved, that's a weight, a weight. Any of these things can be called weights that slow us down or hold us back and prevent our spiritual maturity, that is growth and development. Now, we're in a race, and we have to run this race with patience. And let me just expound on that for a moment. A lot of people give up on themselves. I thank my God that He doesn't give up on us. A lot of times we want to give up on ourselves because we see how many times we've missed the mark or we've done wrong. We see what we're not doing. And guilt comes. And condemnation comes. And it's like, you know, I'd like to please God, but I just can't seem to be able to do it. And we give up on ourselves. 
But you know, in the midst of all that, you can hear the soft voice of the Spirit saying, I've not given up on you. You tried it in your own strength. Now, follow me. Let me take over. Let me show you the way you should go. Listen to my voice. It'll be a whole lot easier. So don't give up on yourself. God hasn't given up on you, on me. Let's not give up on ourselves. Let's yield to Him and let His Spirit do a work within our lives that will glorify the Father. Amen. Notice again the word sin. Now in the Greek it means to miss the mark in a moral sense. To miss the mark in a moral sense. You know, some things that were defined as being immoral in years gone by, in the day in which we live, have become accepted or the accepted norm within the body of Christ. I'll be quite frank about it. In the professing church, the professing church, I'm not just talking about the born-again believers, professing Christendom. Professing is a whole lot different than actually being born again. We hear talk of people allowing those who practice sexual immorality, homosexuality, and all the sins that we know the Bible reveals to us as being wrong in the sight of God, and letting them enter into the ministry and hold a high and holy office. In years gone by, that would be unheard of. But in the day in which we live, it's becoming accepted because of the society and the environment that we're living in. Beloved, sin is sin. No matter what society accepts as being okay, we do not live by the standards of man. We live by the standards of the Word of God. And what God says is sin is sin. What God defines as being sin is sin. In a moral sense, we could miss the mark. People once delivered from sin, out of sin, that is the control of sin, must then live a life that will glorify God. And that means walking away from the practices of sin. I know a lot don't like to hear that today, but you know what, my brother and sister? It's true nonetheless. It's an absolute fact. Now, we can write some things down here. First of all, this can include sins of omission and sins of commission. In thought, in word, in deed. In thought, in word, and in deed. Now, once again, I, you know, we could stand here and name all these things that are wrong. But I'll be quite frank about it. I strongly believe in the recreated human spirit. I believe that people inside them who are genuinely born of God know when they do wrong. Oftentimes we'll hear questions about what is wrong and, and, and what is right in the marriage bed. But you know what? If you'll just practice this rule, don't sin against your conscience, you won't have any question. Because down here on the inside, your conscience, which is the voice of your spirit, 
will be disturbed if there's a wrong practice. And you see, if you're the other partner, you shouldn't sin against your mate's conscience. Get things worked out in your spirit. Things will get worked out in the flesh. But very often we're looking to people to either justify, condone our actions, or to see what they, their convictions are and live by that rule. The Bible never tells us that we're to live by, by another's rule or by another's convictions. We're to live as we are convicted by the, spirit, by the things of God, according to the Word of God, Spirit of God, and the recreated human spirit. And if we'd be sincere our hearts, then you know what? Our conscience would be a good guide, a good, safe guide to follow. And we'll know what's right. We'll know what's wrong. And some people will never grow and develop spiritually unless they put some of those sins behind. Would they be in thought, word, or deed? Now, notice here it says that so easily beset us. Now, this implies whatever our personal weakness is. Whatever would cause a setback in our lives, according to our individuality, we are to set those things aside. We are to walk away from them. That means whatever we have been addicted to as individuals before becoming Christians, anything that has a stronghold in our lives, and like I said, we can name all kinds of things. But I don't think that's necessary. I believe all we have to do is be sincere toward God. And preach, there's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. And beloved, Jesus said the way is straight and narrow. I'd rather be safe and walking on the straight and narrow than living on the fence. Wandering. What about you? Some people ask questions. Will a person still go to heaven if he does this or if he does that? I've been recently asked some questions that make my ears spin. I'm telling you, just like it is. I mean it. I had one fellow walk up to me, no one in this congregation here. I had one fellow walk up to me and said, Will God forgive divorce? That's a loaded question, isn't it? Why are you asking that question? Where's your heart at? Well, I did like Jesus that I answered his question with a question. I said, will God forgive murder? Will God forgive you robbing a bank? Good question. Well, if I answer yes, he'll forgive divorce. Does that mean you should go get divorced? Yes, he forgives murder. Does that mean you should go commit murder? Does God forgive stealing? Does that mean you should go rob a bank? Do you see the mentality that exists? Seducing spirits have deceived the minds of many. And the Bible says in the latter days, many will give heed to them. It's not a matter of whether God will forgive it or not. Do you see that? It's a matter of where's your heart at? Where's your heart at? Salvation is of the Spirit. 
affects the soul and body. But where's your heart at? Why are you asking such a question? Notice the word run. In the Greek, it means fight or conflict. Hold your place there quickly and just go back to Philippians 1 verse 30. It is translated here, conflict. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 30. Hold your place in Hebrews. Now, the word here is the same Greek word that's translated conflict. Having the same conflict. You're still turning. I'll wait. Philippians 1 verse 30. Having the same conflict. Same Greek word. Identical. Which is saw in me and now here to be in me. But notice the words translated here, conflict, elsewhere, fight. Now go on back to Hebrews. Let us run with patience. Let us fight with patience. Let us be in conflict with patience. And a more exact interpretation would mean we are in a contest for a prize. And we have to struggle and battle and fight in order to obtain it. Now, you think about it in your Christian experience. What are we talking about? Who, who are we fighting against? Oh, there's a devil out there. But my brother and sister, I believe it's, it's not the devil that's our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is ourself. Yeah, I know. You want to go get a divorce. And that's why you want to know if God will forgive you. Because you don't want to walk in His love and do His will. There's your fight. There's your contest. There's your battle. Yeah, I know you want to cheat on your income tax. Tempted to do so. Who will know? Everything is open and naked before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. What's the battle with? Do you see, the battle's with yourself. The battle's with myself, my fleshly desires, my desire to get ahead in life, to go to any means or link to do so. The battle is with our own emotions. Do you see that? Gratifying ourselves wants and desires. There's the battle. Spiritually, we're willing. But the body is what? It wants to remain a weight. It wants to produce sin. Do you see that? Anything that will set us back. Anything that will prevent us from obtaining the goal. Is a weight and a sin. That prevents our spiritual growth and development. And my brother and sister. Here it's saying that we're going to have to fight. That's why Paul said, I ran a good race, I fought a good fight. And what was a part of that fight? He said, I beat my body black and blue. You mean to tell me that holy, sanctified, set-apart man of God beat his body black and blue? Young people, you listen. You've got all kinds of temptations out there. Don't think that just because someday 
one day you made your confession of faith in Jesus Christ, that all you've got to do now is just float through life, fulfilling your own sensual desires, and everything is okay. Don't let the devil seduce you with that kind of doctrinal thinking. Don't do it. I'm telling you, there are forces that are out there that are designed to war against your members, designed to activate your sensual desires, designed to lure you in by your own willful lusts, enticing you to do that which is displeasing in the sight of the Father God. That's called sin. And sin, when it begins its course, if it's allowed to be carried out to its full course, what does it produce? Death. Final separation from God. Amen. You know, it's time that we preach that without screaming and having hellfire and brimstone stone and all that. Do you understand that? It's just a fact. You know why? Because all my screaming in the world is not going to get it across to somebody's thinking. But I'll tell you this. If you have any spiritual sensitivity whatsoever, when you hear it, you're going to let the Spirit of God on the inside of you work and your own conscience is going to convict you of what is right and what is wrong. Young people, you take heed. You recognize you have a fight to fight, a race to win, and your biggest battle is your own physical, emotional desires. Don't give in to them. There's a heaven to gain, there's a hell to shun. That's what Christianity is all about. Looking is the next word in in verse 2. Looking to Jesus. It amazes me how many who are born again, spirit-filled believers do more looking unto men, circumstances, and everything else than to Jesus. And that includes looking unto our own self-wants, our own desires, looking what other people are doing, instead of looking unto Jesus. Who authorized our faith? Who's the one that's going to bring it to full fruition and perfection? And what it's saying is this. Jesus is the way you got on the course. Jesus is going to be the way that we finish our course. Do you see that? Maintain a steadfast look at Jesus because that's how you got on the right course in the first place. But continue to maintain that steadfast look at the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the way you stay on course. And if you'll see that thing all the way through to the end and continue to look at Jesus in the future, looking for His appearance and His coming, then that attitude of heart and mind will enable you to finish your course strongly and win the victor's crown of righteousness. Do you see that? That's what He's saying here. People who make shipwreck of their faith have taken their eyes, their focus, off of Jesus. And they got their eyes on something else. Could be a multitude of things, but it's on something else, I guarantee you. Now, turn with me, if you will, or you're close by, Hebrews chapter 11. And let's look at Moses in his life, an example. In verse 24 through 27. Moses got on his course by faith, and it says, By faith, Moses, 
when he was come to years, now underline the word refused. He refused to be called the son of, the, of, of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Is sin pleasurable? Obviously it is. Obviously it is. But I want to make a very important point here. Look at the word refused. In the Greek, it means, by definition, to deny. What was the, tri- the criteria for true discipleship according to Jesus? If a man will follow after me, let him do what? Deny himself. No, God doesn't deny. The Holy Ghost doesn't deny. Jesus won't deny. No, deny yourself. You deny. Now notice this, what did uh, Moses deny? Here's a period in his life where he could have been somebody big. He rejected or refused or denied earthly sonship and kingship to obtain heavenly sonship and kingship. What did he refuse? He also denied himself of wealth, prestige, and all the glitter of Egypt. For what? For something spectacular? No. To suffer persecution with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, that would have been a sin in Moses' life. Remember Hebrews 12 said the sin and the weight? It would have been a willful choice that he would have had to make to be next in line, to be king over Egypt, to enjoy glitter, prestige, fame, glory, money, everything you could possibly hope to desire in life. Do you see, my beloved brother and sister, I can't tell you, you can't tell me to give up any self-aspirations, any desires to obtain earthly goals. I don't know what God's doing in your life, and you don't know what God's doing in mine. But I can say this. God told me to leave the secular field of work. God called me and set me apart to do His will. You know what? I had to deny myself. No one else could have made that decision for me and my wife and my family. We denied ourselves anything we could possibly gain in this earth realm. For the purpose of doing what? Yeah, you're going to suffer persecution. And all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. And we suffered persecution. I was ridiculed. Leaving a good job. A good paying job. Having a pregnant wife. Hospitalization to cover it all. Etc., etc. Leaving our home. Leaving our family. Leaving the area in which we were born and, and reared up. Leaving all those things of security behind us. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. But my brother and sister, only we can determine within our hearts the way God is leading us and directing us. But ultimately, we will all face a decision that we have to make. To refuse... The pleasures of sin, achieving goals and aspirations apart from the will and purpose of God for our lives, will have to be given up. For what purpose? 
to live godly in Christ Jesus if it means suffer persecution in this present world in which we live to obtain the victor's crown of righteousness. And you know, it's high time that somebody start telling some of these people. I thank God for every sports figure that saved, every entertainer that saved. But you know, I have to think inside my heart and mind that some of those people need to be set apart like the Apostle Paul was to really find out what God's will is for their lives. Because many of them stay in that environment in which they were in when they first got saved and cannot hear the voice of God. And before you know it, they stay for a while and then they fall away because of all the temptations and all the lusts that surround that kind of a lifestyle. For me, I had to give up certain things. I mean, I enjoyed playing my instrument and I made money with it. But I'll tell you what, I was convicted inside my heart that I wasn't going to play it for a secular purpose ever again. Do you see that? Not for any self-gain, but to glorify God. And you know what? I'm sad to say this. I believe that some started out making the right decision, but then they went on to make some decisions that they're going to use it for their income, to maintain a certain lifestyle. And you see, beloved, all these things are wrong. I've had one say to me, but this is how I make my money. This is my livelihood. And I like to say, give it all up to gain the, the, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and intimacy of fellowship with the Father. And all those things will be added back unto you. But you see, they don't have the ability to look beyond the natural. In other words, lose sight of the lower life and you'll gain sight of the higher life. And you'll be blessed beyond measure. Turn with me also to the book of Titus. Chapter 2, not too far back. The one who looks unto Jesus... And by the way, looking unto Jesus means past tense and future tense that has a definite positive effect upon our present tense life. When you look back and you find out what God had to do to deliver us from sin, then it makes all the difference in the world. When it comes to deciding what we're going to do in our lives. As far as dealing with sin. In other words, I look back and I find out that Jesus had to pay an awful price for me to be delivered from sin. If that be the case. Then I don't want to live in sin because of the price he had to pay. It's not a matter of whether or not God will forgive me. My brother and sister. These things John said were written that you sin not. But knowing human frailty, he said, but if you sin, we have an advocate. Now it's, well, does it matter if I do this or do that? Will God forgive it? What kind of an attitude is that? Is that a proper attitude that we should maintain? Do you see how things can shift? The emphasis was on not sinning. But if you do sin, God will forgive by the blood of the Lamb. 
Now it's like, what can I get away with? Do you see that? God doesn't want that. It's not what we can get away with. Look back to the price that was paid for our deliverance from sin. Steadfastly. And the more we look at that, the more we're going to stay out of sin. Then again, look ahead unto Jesus. And recognize that no matter what we think, He's coming again. No matter what anybody says, He's coming again. To reward all of us according to the deeds that we've done while we were living in this physical body. Whether they be good or whether they be bad. And as you look to that, we should tremble. I said we should tremble. I said we should tremble with godly reverential fear. We're not just doing our own thing, living our own lives. We're going to have to give an oral discourse, an account of ourselves before His presence. That should make us shudder and tremble. We're not getting away with anything. He said, if you look unto Him in the future properly and steadfastly, it'll affect our present. And let's, let's see what the Scriptures say about that. In verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying... This isn't something God can do. This is something we, only, only we can do for ourselves. God will not cause us to deny ungodliness. No. But God's grace teaches us that we should deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And it also teaches us something else, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this what world? What world? Present. Present tense world. Now notice, looking. See, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, as we look unto Him also in the future, recognizing that that day is approaching, then... The power of God that's active within our hearts and lives will do what? Teach us that while I'm living here in this present evil world, I'm to live righteously, soberly. I'm to deny ungodliness and I'm to deny worldly lusts. For he that hath this hope in him purifies himself. Didn't say God purifies him purifies himself even as he, the one we're looking for, is pure. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 6 and we'll just get a little bit deeper into this. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. In this verse of Scripture, we are told that we are no longer to live according to the dictates of the unregenerate man. Verse 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. The word destroyed there in the Greek means annulled or without effect or useless. That we henceforth should, should not serve sin. We've been told to depart from sin, 
to live righteous in this present age or this present world, denying all ungodliness and worldly lusts, and we're not to yield ourselves or our body members as instruments of unrighteousness. Look at verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed in a sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Notice, that's not something that God does. You don't let it. I am not to let it or allow it. To do what? To reign, to lord it over my mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Notice, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. Verse 16. Oh, let's read 15 and 16. What then shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. God forbid, know you not that to whom... Ye yield yourselves servants to obey as servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that we were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Make a spiritual and mental note of this fact. The blood of Jesus cleanses our spirit from all sin. But the body and the soul will never be cleansed or purified apart from our cooperation with the Holy Ghost by the grace of God. I'm going to say it again. Our minds will never be pure or cleansed from impure evil thoughts. Our bodies will never be delivered from bad, evil habits apart from our cooperating with the Holy Ghost by the grace of God. Because, you see, the Holy Ghost can't do that apart from our cooperation. Cleanse yourselves. Purify your hearts and minds. The blood of of Jesus does the initial work inside the Spirit. But you know what? I'll never get delivered from that bad habit until I recognize I am yielding my body as an instrument unto unrighteousness and sin. And when I recognize that that is a sin, it is missing the mark in a moral sense, and I recognize that affects my spirituality... And I get down to brass tacks, and I mean business with God, then the Holy Ghost will see the intent of my heart as I cooperate with Him. Together, we'll drive out that force that has overcome me or overtaken my life. And that's what He's saying in this verse of Scripture. So the Holy Ghost cannot purify our minds or cleanse our bodies from dirty habits apart from whose cooperation? Our cooperation, whoever we yield ourselves to, that's whose servant we are. Now, I'm going to show that to you in its fullest depth. If you'll turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. And please give me your undivided attention here. We're just about through. But my brother and sister, no, these are not 
things that, the, that we shout about. But you know what? These are things that are true. These are things that need to be heard and said. And said and heard until they become alive in us. What do you mean yielding our body members? Well, let's look. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Well, if thy right eye offend thee, God will pluck it out. Doesn't it say that? Does it say God will pluck it out? What does it say? Pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if your right hand offends you, you cut it off. You cast it from you. It is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So here he talks about the eyes and the hands that are not to be yielded to lust and evil doings. And it says that God's not going to do anything about it apart from our cooperation. We must pluck it out. We must put a stop to it. And I'm not going to change the literal meaning here. I mean, it's not going to do us any good to change it. Jesus was actually saying it would be better to cut off the hand and go into heaven maimed. You get a new body anyhow. than to keep it here and be cast in, into hellfire. It would be better to pluck the eye out if it's an offending member in the body and rid yourself of that temptation and enter into heaven with no eyes than it would be to have eyes and enter into the lake of fire. Obviously, he's talking about the life that we live on this earth. Quickly, write it down. Another... Uh, member that needs to be yielded to God is found in James 3.2. Don't turn to it. We've got to expedite matters here. James 3.2. The tongue defiles the whole body. I'll be quite frank about it. I don't think many of us have done a whole lot about our tongues. To whom we yield it to is to whom servant we are. And the tongue defiles the entire body. And see, unless we acknowledge these truths, my brother and sister, and do something about yielding our tongues under righteousness, nothing will ever be done about it in our whole entire Christian experience. Did you know that? If you're waiting for God to do something about our eyes, our ears, our, our hands, our tongues, our feet, forget about it. God's not going to do a thing about it in the world until the person shows from his heart that he so desires to serve a living God and will yield his body and faculty members unto righteousness and holiness. It's when we from our hearts make that decision that God empowers us by his spirit and the job is done. And one that needs to be said today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. I want you to turn to that one with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18.
the body is to be set apart for God, for His use, for His purpose, and not for the purpose of sin. We can yield our hands, our eyes, our ears, our tongues, our feet, our walk of life, our service to God or to ourselves, or even to evil spirits. But notice this one in verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that, that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have a God and you're not your own? For you're bought with a the price. Therefore glorify God in, in, your, in, in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Our bodies and our soul, our spirit belong to God. But in the day in which we live, because living together is an accepted norm in our society, that's filtered into Christianity. But we love each other. And God is love. Those are seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Make note of this. When a person yields his body to fornication, he is living, he is yielding rather his entire living being unto sin. Every part of his being is being yielded over unto sin. It is sinning against our entire constitution. That's why it's such a grave sin. Can you verify that in Scripture? I most certainly can. I want you to turn to this one with me. 2 Samuel chapter 2, chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Fornication is any sick sexual immoral conduct. All adultery is fornication. But not all fornication is adultery. Because to commit adultery, of course, you have to be married. But the body is not for that purpose. Now, in the day in which we live, you know, you're going to be persecuted, young people. You're going to be ridiculed. Young ladies, you're going to be ridiculed at school if you're a virgin. By your peers. Try making it, making it into the college scene as being a virgin. You're certainly not the norm. Well, you know what? It's a whole lot better to suffer persecution with the people of God than it is to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And let them laugh and mock and ridicule and say what they want. There's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. That's all there is to it. It's black and white. No in-betweens. No gray areas. David was a man after God's own heart. And there was a time he yielded himself totally unto God. But then he yielded his eyes and saw Bathsheba. You remember that? That, in turn, caused him to yield his mental faculties unto lusts of the flesh. He had to have her. That, in turn, led him into the sin of adultery, which led to the sin of deception, which led to the sin of murder, to the sin of cover-up, and after it was all covered up and smoothed over, 
He pulled up his drawers and said, I'm the king. Got it all together. It's legal now. Is that right? Brother David. I want you to look at with me at verse 9. Wherefore hast thou despised? There's no time of going at all. This is the point I want to make out. Wherefore hast thou despised? Will God forgive sin? Will God forgive adultery? Will God forgive divorce? Will God forgive fornication? See, there's a mentality that says, do it. God will forgive it. That's a wrong mentality. That's the mentality of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Look at this. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord? This is God speaking. Underline it. To do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah, the high tide, with a sword. You took his wife to be your wife. And thou hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall not depart from thine house because. I want you to see this clearly with me. Thou hast despised me. Did you get that? Who did he despise? Do you see what he did brought a reproach to the name of Jehovah? His actions, yielding his body and faculty members, brought a reproach to the name of the living God. He said, you despise my commandment and you despise me. And is there a consequence to sin? God forgave David. But if you'll study this out and find out what his consequence, what he reaped because of that sin... My brother and sister, it'll make you tremble in your boots. The man was never the same. Thank God he was spared and saved. But I'll tell you something right now. Some terrible things, happenings took place in his life as a consequence of his sin. In conclusion, write it down according to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We are to yield our bodies and faculty members unto God. To have our minds renewed to what thus saith the Lord. And the giving of our bodies unto Him as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable in His sight. Our tongues are to be yielded to the Holy Ghost to speak with other tongues. To the Word to speak excellent things, to utter truth and to minister grace to the hear. Our hands are, are to be used in true worship of the Father in spirit and in truth. Holy hands uplifted without wrath and without doubting. And extensions of His grace... And miracle working power as we lay them upon the sick that they may be healed, delivered and set free. Our eyes are to look right on. Right on the truth. The path of righteousness, the way of the Lord. Our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We are to be ever about our father's business in walking in this earth in fellowship with him in the light as he is in the light. That the blood of Jesus can cleanse us. For John said, if you walk in darkness, you lie and do not the truth. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. 
I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.